This is episode number 08 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome on to another episode. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. Today, we are going to be talking about internal pelvic pain, which is a topic that we are often asked questions about from our clients, uh, readers, and followers, and so excited to have your take on this, Anita, because you are seeing this from a different lens and will have so much to offer us on this topic. So let's kick it off. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start with what is internal pelvic pain, because I think... Um, a lot of women either are experiencing this or don't even know that this can be possible. So I wanted just to briefly go over a couple of the technical terms because you may have been diagnosed with a specific term related to your pelvic pain. Um, so kind of three of the main ones is, so the first one is called dyspareunia, which we'll be talking mostly about tonight. And that's to do with pain associated with intercourse or any sort of internal penetration. So this can be inserting a tampon, diva cup, or pelvic exam. And it can also be used to describe pain after intercourse or penetration. Um, vaginismus is um, basically in terms of resulting from an involuntary uh, vaginal muscle contraction. Some people will even say it's like a spasm, um, which can create... Uh, either the the main inability basically for any vaginal penetration so during intercourse as well and some women are even told you know you have a small vaginal canal or a small vaginal opening but uh, it's actually just due to the muscles being quite tense um, and one of the other descriptions is vulvodynia which is more of a broad category and that can be due to pain with or without direct pressure on various parts of the vulvar area um, and a lot of women are surprised to hear that this is actually really common and it's common, not just for, um, moms, but also for women who've never given birth before, um, or also during pregnancy and to kind of give some of the numbers, um, even in the research, they find it's really hard to give the true prevalence of dyspareunia. Um, especially after childbirth, because a lot of women with persistent symptoms, actually don't seek medical attention. So to get true numbers, it is challenging. Um, some of the numbers that come up are for women at some point throughout their life, eight to 22% um, will end up with uh, this internal pelvic pain at some point, but specifically with childbirth. So some of the numbers are 17 to 23% continue to experience dyspareunia three months after birth and 10 to 14% at 12 months. Um, but another study actually had much higher numbers because they also included women who had experienced pelvic pain before giving birth. 
So they said 62% of women uh, experience internal pelvic pain at the first three months postpartum and 31% still at six months. So basically we're saying this is really common and not talked about enough. Um, so I'm curious, Jess, in terms of, because working as a pelvic physio, women specifically come to me with this issue. I'm wondering as a fitness coach, do your clients talk to you about this, especially when you initially meet with them? Yes, absolutely. This is a conversation that does come up quite often, more so in the realm of postpartum issues in terms of their internal pelvic pain. But then once we start to talk about it further, it often is that they were having more chronic experiences with these symptoms during pregnancy. Pre-pregnancy tends to be extremely common with the populations that I work with as well. And then it's persisting postpartum or it has gotten more intense postpartum. And I would say that that was really my experience postpartum too. So I was having some dyspnea pre-pregnancy and it was something that I wrote off for years likely if I think back on it and then it seemed to subside once I started to learn more about the pelvic floor the core and um, started to do some different self-treatments for it subsided during pregnancy as well and then ramped back up again postpartum and I think there were so many layers happening postpartum in terms of uh, birth and mental health that it was like the perfect storm for these symptoms to to come back again. So I'm excited to dive into all the layers of this in this episode because it's not simply, for many people, it's not simply that there's just a pelvic floor muscle issue and that is why all your pain is occurring. Absolutely, it could be that simple, but in terms of postpartum health too, I think that there can be so many factors coming into play. Mm -hmm. I totally agree and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Just that We'll definitely be talking about that and I do talk about that with all of my clients who have um, pelvic pain is it's not just a muscle issue there's so much more to it um, and especially the fact that we do experience this pain with uh, whether intercourse or internal penetration there's there are a lot of layers to actually fully resolving this type of pain but it definitely can be done and I think that's the part that's that's hard when I first have clients come in who tell me that they've had this pain and they've either been referred by a healthcare provider or no one's told them pelvic physio can help and they end up doing their own research and they end up coming in and it's because they've been told like this is just kind of part of life like whether you've had kids or not um it's just part of the deal and it'll go away eventually or just relax and I'm just like oh this is so not the information and it's just perpetuating that pain cycle even more. Um, so we're so excited to share this info because we want everyone listening to be empowered with this info, whether it's going to affect you if you have pelvic pain or at least let your friends and family know they don't have to put up with this. Yes, absolutely. And I think just before we get into really talking about the pelvic floor, one thing that my clients are coming up, one thing that my clients have, have said is coming up a lot for them is if they do talk to healthcare providers about their pain during intercourse or sex postpartum they are often told to just keep doing it and it will get better and I cannot wait for you to address this further on mm -hmm. yes for sure so why don't we start into we're going to talk about the pelvic floor what it has to do with this pelvic pain because a lot of women are surprised to know that this actually is a component of it. So why don't why don't you kick that off, Jess, in terms of 
how are the muscles related to this type of pain? Absolutely. This is something that tends to be surprising for a lot of people too, who have had cesarean births versus vaginal births. And in the case of cesareans, they are surprised that they are also experiencing this internal pelvic pain with sex because they didn't push a baby out of their vagina. So how could they be having pain in this region if that's not how their baby was born. And this is kind of how we can tie it back to this whole system, this integration with the pelvic floor, this musculature and connective system that we have going on inside our bodies. So often there can be pelvic floor tension that is being held inside the body, and that can be relating to the sensations that we are feeling with some type of internal pelvic pain. Can you explain that a little bit further? Like, why would that be related? Yeah, so in terms of, um, because I know a lot of people wonder, like, how how does our pelvic floor get tense, right? Because everyone just talks about doing Kegels and our pelvic floor must be really loose and lax. But just like any other muscle in our body, so if you've been for massage before for any type of muscle or any injury before, you know that when someone starts pressing on outer muscles, right, that they can be kind of tender and they can be tense. And the pelvic floor is just another set of muscles that happens to exist on the inside. Um, and there's actually three layers to these muscles. So being on a podcast, we can't show you a picture specifically, but to get a visual, basically these muscles attach from our pubic bone in the front and go right to the back to our tailbone. And then side to side from sit bone to sit bone. So they create like a diamond um, shape and then three layers to those muscles. So just like any other set of muscles, they can actually get tense. Um, in terms of specifically after birth, so some of the reasons that internal pelvic pain can happen. Um, if you've had an episiotomy or a tear, there will be they will have done stitches um, to bring the tissue together, which is what needed to happen. Um, but sometimes what happens is once those stitches dissolve or they heal is the muscle tissue around the area still is tense. Um, and so then rubbing over that cannot be comfortable. Like your brain can interpret that as a, a harmful thing or something that can be, um, your brain is not interpreting that basically as a good thing. So it's eliciting a pain response. So that can be part of it. After a cesarean birth, um, I often, I would say, the clients I see after cesarean birth, it, they usually have pelvic floor tension. And then a lot of them experience this pain. And um, anatomy wise, what I feel like is happening is at the bottom, basically our pelvic floor is at the bottom of our pelvis, right? So it's helping to support what's gone on above. So even if you didn't get to the point of pushing, um, your pelvic floor is just trying to help out and support and help you heal what's gone on above. Um, and so these muscles can sometimes guard or get tense in response, and then they just need some guidance on how to release. So I think it is common. A lot of moms who've had a cesarean birth, there's this, an assumption that, okay, my pelvic floor hasn't been affected. Um, and I don't have symptoms, but if you're having pain with intercourse, that is often a sign that there's just tension in these muscles. We just got to teach them how to release and then that pain will go. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely my experience as well, postpartum after cesarean. I was having more, I wouldn't have described it as pain. And this is an interesting question for you too as well and how you might categorize this. But for me, it felt more like burny sensations rather than I would have described it as pain. Would you still classify that as dyspareunia? Yep. 
Okay. Yep. Anything, uh, sharp pain, achy pain, burning, any discomfort, or even just an extreme, some women will describe it as an extreme tightness. Um, that's still dyspnea. Yeah. So pelvic floor physiotherapy was vital for me during those early first three months postpartum and those Mm -hmm. sensations really decreased. And again, we'll get into more of the mental and emotional health aspects of it too, which was also necessary for me in terms of getting that, those sensations to chill out. But Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, it was more of a burning sensation and I am someone that has this go-to to to hold tension and tightness in my pelvic floor have for years and years which is likely why I was experiencing similar sensations even before going into pregnancy so not surprising that it was going to persist postpartum when we also take into consideration long labor and then a major surgery as well Mm -hmm. and I think that's a good point to bring up is um if someone hasn't, uh, if you haven't had internal uh, pelvic floor physio or no one's assessed your pelvic floor internally before you gave birth, there's a possibility that tension was already there as Jess is describing, right? And then it's just maintained after birth and you may be feeling more of the pain after um, as well. So it could have actually been there before you even gave birth. And in terms of those who are listening in who have had vaginal births, did have tearing, episiotomy, what are you recommending for those moms postpartum to help in terms of their internal pelvic pain? Mm-hmm. So definitely, if you're able to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist, that can be super helpful because they'll be able to assess the muscles. Um, but something to also keep in mind, and I always let clients know, but also other professionals who refer, is that we don't necessarily have to go internal day one or day two, day three or ever. Um, that even just from talking to you and finding out your symptoms, your history, um, whether you've given birth or not, we usually can tell if there's going to be tension in those muscles and can already teach you breathing strategies. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the nervous system side. So learning how to relax the nervous system, which is going to help decrease stress, which decreases tension. Um, so I would say that's the, the biggest part is learning how to release and relax those muscles. Um, the breath that I typically teach clients, it's actually the same one we've talked about in other episodes is the flower bloom breath because it releases tension in those muscles, which is what you want when you're in labor. Um, but also to release those muscles. So we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Um, so even getting started on that and just understanding your breath and listening to this episode to understand all the different factors. Um, but yeah, if it's possible to see a pelvic floor physio, it can just be so helpful um, to understand what's going on with your body. Plus, they're going to assess other muscles in your body that connect to your pelvis. So your inner thigh muscles, your glute muscles, your abdomen, all these areas. And if you've had a cesarean birth and you have a scar the physiotherapist should be assessing your scar as well. And often if there's still tension going on there, I'll be massaging there. I'll have the client massage there. So there's just a lot of physical factors involved. um, And most of them will be about tension that we need to release tension in all these areas to help the pelvic floor. One more question specifically on the pelvic floor while we're here. Mm -hmm. What does it mean when someone is told that they have a small vaginal opening? Yes. So this, I've definitely heard this a number of times, a small vaginal opening or a small vaginal canal. Um, And I think sometimes when clients specifically with uh, 
uh, vaginismus, where it's the, the muscles are quite contracted, um, is sometimes it can be misdiagnosed for having a smaller canal when really once we start getting to the root of why this is happening, because there can be a lot of different reasons, physical reasons and non-physical reasons why these muscles are tightening up, um, that once we get those muscles to release, then there's space again. So I think sometimes it's maybe an initial assumption and not to say it can never happen because there can be anatomical variations just like anything else. But I think it's a lot more rare than what women are actually told. And I feel like we need to discuss one more thing in regards to this too, because it's something that I've heard multiple times from people is this mm-hmm. disgusting idea of the husband stitch that yes. people are having done postpartum or their healthcare provider will tell them that they did them a favor and stitched them up extra tight or gave them this additional stitching to help tighten up the vagina. This is obviously maddening for so many reasons. Are you finding your clients are experiencing this ever? I would say I've never, I've not had clients distinctly tell me that this has happened to them. I don't know if it's happening to them, but it's not something they're aware of that is being done. Um, so at least in my area, and even when I was working in Toronto, I, I didn't, I, I know it can happen, but I didn't have any clients actually say that, but I do see it circulate a lot on social media. And I think maybe in different locations, possibly this is a lot more common, but I would totally agree with you that it's not acceptable and just not needed and doing mom such a disservice, um, And there's just a lot of layers, again, to have to undo with that physically, mentally, and emotionally um, through that that experience and then the experiences that come afterwards. So let's get into that, all these layers, the physical, mental, emotional, about Mm -hmm. how we go on to heal these symptoms, Mm -hmm. these sensations that we might be having. Where Mm -hmm. do we start? Mm -hmm. So... When I first see a client, I do, after we do their history, I do explain pelvic floor and core. And again, if they've had a cesarean birth or if they've had tearing, how physically that all relates. So what we've already covered. So they understand the muscles and how that relates to it. Um, And teaching them about posture and breathing and how all of that can help. So how our diaphragm and pelvic floor work as a team, not only to strengthen, but also to release and relax. So understanding that, um, and how I said also the, the corresponding muscles, so other muscles in the body that relate that there may be a lot of tension being held there and different strategies, um, that we've, or habits, I guess that we've created over the years. So some women end up noticing, you know, we often get told tuck our bum under, suck our belly in, lift our chest. And I joke with clients. I'm like, I'm actually asking you to do all of the opposite because our pelvic floor and core actually doesn't appreciate any of those. Um, that uh, I love the image of a balloon that Julie Weeb uses often in terms of your diaphragm on the top, pelvic floor on the bottom, transverse abdominis around the middle. Um, if we squeeze the center of that balloon, pressure gets put up in our diaphragm, down on our pelvic floor, doesn't help us at all. Um, and often with tucking our bum under, we end up clenching our glutes and essentially our pelvic floor just like constantly. Or if women get told to kegel all the time, um, all of these things can create this pelvic floor tension so even just 
starting to unravel those habits can make big difference. Um, and then also the pelvic floor side to it. So in terms of for pelvic floor um, assessment, when we are assessing, um, initially we do, we explain to the client first, and I like to show them on the pelvic model how, what our pelvic floor muscles are, how the actual assessment works. Um, and like I said, for some clients, we don't even go internal. We may not even be pressing around the outside, but for some, we're actually just palpating or pressing around the vulva area. Um, and there can be a lot of tenderness there. So then teaching them how to breathe through it, start releasing that pelvic floor muscle tension and having them already start to see those changes happen within that session. So that's the pelvic floor side and important to go through daily habits and exercise that can help. Um, and another thing too, the physical side is actually dilators. And was that ever something that came up for you, Jess, or do you have clients that use dilators? I do have a few clients have used them, but I would say it is not so common or yeah, it hasn't been used as commonly, I would say, for my clients. Wasn't mm -hmm. used for me. Uh, Steel is playing with one. She has <laughs> snagged it as a toy, one that I was gifted. But that was yeah. actually my first experience uh, seeing, mm -hmm. seeing dilators in person was probably only a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because um, there's something I want to bring up briefly, and then we're going to come back to it. So... Sometimes when I have clients come to see me who have seen a specialist beforehand, um, sometimes dilators have been recommended, but without guidance and not that they're bad at all. Cause I do often actually use them with clients. Um, it's more of like, there's a certain time to bring them into treatment and if they're actually needed. So in your circumstances, it wasn't something that you needed. Um, I find for the clients I do recommend it for, it's if they've done all the other work and over a period of time, there's still some pain or in our clinic session, we do the internal and in the environment they're in, they're very relaxed. They feel very safe and there's no pelvic floor tension, but then they go home and they have intercourse and they're like, it was so painful. Like, I don't understand. They're like in your office, there's no pain, there's no tension. And then the next day I have intercourse and it's like I'm back at zero right so in those circumstances I actually do recommend dilators and explain they actually use them very similar to how we do the internal release work in our session because what it does is it I call it it bridges that gap so in our session how I said they feel very safe very comfortable they're able to relax but what happens is when you're back in that event that's been painful so whether it's intercourse it's a pelvic exam any sort of penetration, your brain is very brilliant and your brain will remember, well, last time this was painful, why should this be any different? So how am I going to basically prevent this or keep you safe? I'm just going to tighten up and then this can't even happen. So that's where I usually bring dilators in. So clients will use them at home and there's different sizes. Um, and that often is where I feel like there's that plateau, then there's a breakthrough because using the dilators at home, basically their brain understands, okay, this is, I'm safe, I'm in control, this is a different environment, and then eventually bringing that over into intercourse, um, and then the pain goes away. Um, but a big part that both Jess and I want to talk about, so it's the part not a lot of people know about is the nervous system side. So really, it's our brain that decides if something's going to be painful or not. Um, 
our nervous system is comprised of our brain, our spinal cord, and then nerves that go out. And anything that happens physically or if there's a non-physical stress, our brain basically gets a message and our brain decides, am I going to, you know, am I going to react? Is this actually a harmful thing or is this actually okay? I'm safe. I'm okay. And what happens often with internal pelvic pain is the brain is understanding that this particular event is actually really unsafe and hurtful and how it defends itself is it tightens your pelvic floor muscles and that creates not enough space and then creates pain. So what we need to do is actually, we call it desensitizing the nervous system. And so that's where that comes into play in terms of we go over different um, stress relieving strategies as well. So whether it's mindfulness, meditation, certain forms of exercise, whether it's yoga, doesn't even matter, whatever creates relaxation and also just relaxation strategies. So even if we kind of talk specifically about postpartum and motherhood and Jess and I, we did that episode on the six weeks postpartum, there's a lot of stress involved, physical, mental, emotional, and not just those six weeks, but that goes past those six weeks. And so if your body is in this stress kind of stress period, um, then your body is going to be tensing those muscles up and with intercourse or penetration or anything. So it's something that we talk about where, yes, it's important to do these relaxation, you know, treatment and strategies for your muscles, but there's much more to it. We have to have your brain understand that something internal is not harmful and in general, how to release stress so that your body is not in this stressful state. Um, so yeah, desensitizing the nervous system is a, is a big component. Um, and we start talking about that at day one. And when we start talking about that whole idea of being back in that particular event, um, your brain recognizes it was painful last time. So we basically have to get your brain to understand over time, this is okay. And this is also something um, I work a lot with, with clients who've had uh, sexual abuse. Um, so whether they've had kids or not, this is, there are a lot of layers to unravel with that um, because your, your brain just wants to protect you. So it's, it's not enough to just address the physical side. So how do you feel with that, Jess? Is that kind of what you felt or what you've gone through with clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And I can't, can't imagine how this cannot be part of the conversation, especially when we are speaking about postpartum and motherhood and the stressors and anxieties that can be coming up in this time period. For me, what I started to realize that I was feeling earlier on postpartum that was related to my pain with intercourse was that I was so freaking nervous about getting pregnant again. And it was all I could think about when we were having sex or when I was having sex with my husband. It was just this like constant thing in the back of my mind that was freaking the heck out of me. Mm -hmm. So that is just, it's just a, something to consider. What else is going on in your mm -hmm. life, in your relationship, whatever the case might be? I just think that yet yeah, these components of the nervous system are so key and these layers have to be as uncomfortable as it can be have to be unraveled to yeah. sometimes make progress or get to that next level that next stage um, if you've been focusing just specifically on the pelvic floor and things are kind of stuck absolutely there could be other stuff going on other tools to try 
but is there other stuff happening too? Mm-hmm. I think that's so key. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more in another episode when we talk about hormones postpartum. We're going to have a naturopath on to discuss this because the hormones can be part of it too. But I think we often, and I have this conversation pretty much daily with clients that they bring up with me, like I'm postpartum. I don't, I don't really have a sex drive. Like I just, I'm not interested right now, but my partner is, I kind of feel like I have to do it. And it's really painful. So if you kind of even like think through that, there's so many stress layers with that too. Like you're not really interested in doing it. You're doing it for someone else. That's going to be stress in itself. You're stressed because is the baby going to wake up in the room next door? Is the baby going to start crying? Like we got to hurry up. Like there's just so many layers um, to it that you'll, you quickly start to see how stress and this pain are so, so related um, to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think yeah. this is something that we'll get into further on another episode, probably mm-hmm. about sex more so as well but also Mm -hmm. this feeling for so many moms of feeling like they're constantly giving of themselves um, Mm -hmm. and then being able to receive can be a really difficult thing yep no I agree that we need to definitely definitely go into that more and just I mean I remember postpartum just being like I don't want to be touched I'm being touched all day I'm touched out (laughs) just I just need to be by myself and just no, no one touch me right now is what like I just remember having that that you're just like it just felt like you know another another thing on the list to do at times so it's one of those where you're just like that can you know contribute to stress too yes. um, with it that's been my so, entire day today yeah <laughs> like there's a child inside of me there's a child on top of me yeah <laughs> mom can't deal with this right now yeah and <laughs> And so that it's a good point to go back to with when I kind of brought up before about dilators. So now you can see where this comes in, right? Whereas if we, we desensitize the nervous system um, so that it understands that something internal is okay. So that's where the dilators can be helpful because then you can actually do this. We call like self-treatment at home and it actually is helping to desensitize your nervous system. And I think the big part, because I do have clients see me who either have tried dilators before or yeah have been told what you said off the start just to just push through it and I think it's important to recognize that that is just feeding into that pain cycle and isn't going to help so I do tell clients like I never you know sex is never homework and I also don't take it off the table for you. I never wanted you to feel stressed one way or the other. I should or I shouldn't. Um, It is something to talk over with, Um, you know, at home in terms of like with your partner being like, there is a dialogue that does end up needing to happen so they can understand. Because also what happens is when I do, when clients decide to have intercourse again, I'm telling them like, you will initially be doing this flower bloom breath because they've seen how well it works in themselves and in treatment that telling your partner, like, I'm going to be doing some breathing before some breathing during penetration. If at any point there's pain, I'll be telling you to stop and I'm going to need to breathe. And this is just the way it is. Um, Because, and I tell them you need to 
say, say that basically because your brain needs to understand you're in control. If you're in a situation where your brain feels that it's not in control, then it's going to interpret that as unsafe and it's going to go into that, that spiral. Um, something I really, really like from a, a good resource we're going to put in the show notes is vaginismus.com. Um, and I like how they, they put this cycle. There's a great visual. So they talk about this pain cycle starting with anticipating pain or this fear of pain happens. And then you have this involuntary reaction. So your body starts to automatically tighten your pelvic floor muscles. And then the tightening of the muscles makes sex painful or not possible. And the pain is just reinforced. So that reflexive response of tightening is just reinforced again. Um, and the body starts to brace more and more often and on an ongoing basis. So then this starts to go into other areas. Um, and then it goes into avoidance of intimacy, lack of desire may develop. So it kind of, again, and then it just keeps going in circles. So we need to find where we can break that cycle for you um, so that the pain can start um, coming down and then eventually go. So powerful. Mm -hmm. I'm just sitting here taking notes on what you said, especially when you said sex is never homework for your clients. Yeah. That is probably so relieving to them. They, yeah. I would imagine that if someone's coming to a professional of your sort for treatment, they might be thinking like that is the goal. That is the end yeah. goal is to be having intercourse when there's could be so much fear wrapped up in that. So yeah. you just saying that to them alone, uh, it probably gives them so much power back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that just talking through it, because I think a lot of times too, we, well, as we've already talked about, this type of pain is so dismissed. Um, so I've seen clients who have seen like, I can't even count how many specialists, how many professionals, and people have been told this is in your head, or, you know, this is, you know, how we said just the way it is. And man, it's, it's, and just within one session of a client being heard and this pain education and the research shows pain education is actually the most effective way to begin decreasing pain, whether it's pelvic pain or other types of pain, having the client understand why this is happening, how this can change and that it can change just already sets them up for success and makes them feel like, okay, finally someone gets this and finally I'm given some hope because they haven't been given hope. And for some, it's been many years or their entire life that this has been going on. Okay, so let's get into the exercise side of things because I know that people will probably be interested in that and asking mm -hmm. if it is possible to do specific exercises to help mm -hmm. with pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. Have absolutely some things that can be done that can be helpful. I'll just kick it off to talk about the populations that I'm seeing who are often really interested in strength training and high intensity exercise. If mm -hmm. this is the only type of mm -hmm. exercise that you are doing, if you are having a lot of this type of load on your system, it is a stressor. And what we've been talking about the whole time is mm -hmm. this influx of stress onto our body, onto our nervous system. So just considering if you could potentially add in some different modes of movement or non-movement type exercises as well, this might be helpful to start to chill things out a little bit for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really good point too, because, you know, anyone can experience this pain. So if it's someone who, yeah, is used to a lot of strength training and high intensity 
I think that's a big thing we talk about in our sessions is just like any of the other episodes we talked about, you know, someone shouldn't be saying, okay, you have to absolutely stop everything that you love doing. And that's always where I start with clients, even my public pain clients, um, that I say, okay, so can we balance things out a little bit more? Can we bring a lot of this release work in while you're still doing strength training and let's see how your body responds. And as they start to see the positive benefits of the release work, they often start making a decision of saying like, okay, if I modify my strength training, at least temporarily, get on top of this pain, get this pain to go. And then I know how to manage this myself if it starts to ramp up again at another point um, when I start getting more intense again. So I think that's just really important because I always want women to know that if you're going to go see a pelvic floor physio, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid to go to see one because you're concerned it's going to be painful because as I said, pain should never be pushed into, especially if you're seeing a pelvic physio, we are very knowledgeable in that and that should never be happening. Um, but also for someone to take away everything that you enjoy doing also doesn't really help with stress either. That can be stress in itself. So, you know, starting out with balancing, uh, balancing things out, but also sometimes clients, like once they hear the education and hear how it's helpful, they make the decision themselves to be like, you know what, I'm just going to put this on hold for now. Let me just fully focus on releasing this. It's going to release a lot faster. And then I'll get back to that. So I think it's important to put it in your course, kind of how you want to do this once you get all the information. So another form of exercise that can actually be quite helpful is various types of yoga. And in particular, yin yoga and restorative yoga, because its focus is on the breath, although every type of yoga is based on the breath. But these types are more about lengthening yin you end up holding poses for a long period of time so it's a lot about lengthening the muscles letting go um and it can be quite helpful so i have some clients who you know are already intuitively already doing this which is fantastic um and i'll often have clients you know bring in a little bit at home but again make it realistic so i know my postpartum moms and that's often a really common is i'll see moms from the six week to about the year postpartum mark who are experiencing this type of pain. I get it. I have a toddler. I've been there. I know what time management is or lack of at that point. Um, so it's not like someone's going to be telling you, well, you need to do a yin yoga class for an hour every day. Like that's just not real. So usually I'll say, you know what, go on YouTube, find a five minute or a 10 minute, keep it realistic. And that's enough. Like bringing that into your day and then also adding um, the flower bloom breath will do in a lot of different yoga poses. So if they can do it here and there, especially when their baby starts being on the play mat, I'm like, baby's on the play mat doing their tummy time. You're next to them doing a pose for a minute, doing your flower bloom breath, like realistically fitting it in the day um, can be helpful. And then for those who can do a class, whether it's at home or go to an actual class, super helpful as well. So this is all working on the side of the nervous system that we call like the rest and digest the relaxation side of the nervous system. So the other side is the fight or flight. And often when we're stressed or when we're in pain, the fight or flight side is quite elevated. So what we're trying to do is actually bring up the other side. So there's more of a balance. Um, so yeah, types of yoga can be helpful as well. Also mindfulness and meditation. 
and there's so many variations. Um, one that I'll often give clients if they're open to doing it, it's called a body scan. So if you're listening to this, you may have done this before where someone is basically telling you to go to your feet and relax your feet and your knees. They just go through all the joints and parts of our body. Um, and I recently came across one I really liked um, on YouTube. We'll put it in the show notes. And I love it because she goes through the whole body, but she also goes to the pelvic floor and pelvis. And even the image is actually the YouTube image is a flower. And I'm like, go figure. So it's one of those where I'll have clients do it. And I think it's about nine minutes long. Um, so decent amount of timing. And I even remember postpartum, um, I knew meditation was important. It wasn't something I did regularly. So how I fit it in my day is I would do five or 10 minutes during a nursing session each day. So I'm sitting or lying there. I can't go anywhere anyway. So I might as well do it. And it relaxed me. And I think it also relaxed Pippa too. So it's one of those things where, again, finding realistic ways to fit these things in your day. And for other people, like mindfulness can just be going for a walk. So even if you have a little one, if it's you're going for a five or 10 minute walk, getting fresh air, getting outside and just being in that moment, that's also mindfulness. So yeah, there are many ways to bring mindfulness and meditation into your day. There is not a one size fits all. Um, there are so many meditation apps that are out there now. Find something that works for you. And again, like YouTube or anywhere that's free, like it doesn't have to be a big, there are mindfulness courses out there that are fantastic, but Again, we want to find ways to fit this realistically in your day. So these are some great options um, that work for a lot of people um, and research also backs it up. So just keeping in mind exercise and also mindfulness, but relaxation strategies. I'll have clients go home and make a list and come back at their next session. And I say, again, there's no right or wrong and they can be little things. So whether it's like certain smells or certain visuals or listening to podcasts or whatever it is that you find relaxing if we can fit a little bit of those things throughout your day um it all adds up in the end and same with that breath like that flower bean breath i usually have people start off with doing 10 breaths five times throughout the day and 10 breaths takes you like a minute it's really nothing um so I'll usually say whether you're you know feeding or nursing for in terms of new moms um to even just do like once you feel like if you're bottle feeding or nursing, like once the baby's latched, you're both relaxed, do 10 breaths. That's it. And not eat, you don't even have to do it every time, right? So it's one of those things where it's just a little bit throughout the day because I talk about if we can get on top of that tension more often, there's less to unravel. So if you get through your whole day and you try to just do it all at night, there's nothing wrong with that. But tension is built throughout the day. So if we can get on top of it sooner, then you're not going to have to release as much by the end of your day. Um, and a lot of people notice a big difference the more they do it. And then I have clients who they're just like, I do it everywhere. I do a couple here. I do a couple there. I'm in the grocery store. I'm at work and I'm in an argument or an intense situation. I'll do my flower blooms. No one knows I'm doing them. I'm on a conference call and I'm being agitated. I'm doing my flower blooms. It's one of those things where then it starts getting used as a stress relieving strategy, which is great. Um, so finding things I think that work for you is really important and just reconnecting to your breath. I love all those. You reminded me that when you mentioned the body scan, 
I did mm-hmm. some coaching with Susanna Frioni back when I was probably a year, a year and a half postpartum when I was starting to want to dive into my sexuality a bit more so. We were just doing some coaching on what that relationship with your sexuality is like after you become mom and that can definitely be a conversation for another time too but in Mm -hmm. each of our coaching sessions we would start with a meditation it was really a body scan but we would absolutely bring in the pelvic floor into each of those meditations and it was so interesting for me and just the second thing I wanted to mention too is that sometimes I use mantras and one is to remind myself to hold pleasure in my body and that has been huge for me too I believe I heard that from Juliet Allen and that I just find can be helpful when I'm switching roles really quickly or we get kiddo down for bed and then Randy and I want to have intimate time Mm -hmm. that switching of roles so quickly I find can be very difficult so the Mm -hmm. reminder to hold pleasure in my body has been a helpful one for me Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think that's good to bring up just kind of what, what worked for you, how the body scan and that, um, cause I'm just thinking back to actually a recent client I had who came in, um, with dyspnea and, um, and when we went over, cause I always, I just really want those listening to understand you have to find what works for you because I brought up, you know, how do you feel about doing a body scan? Um, in terms of meditation, because she's done various types of meditation. She said other types worked for her. Body scan did not, because as soon as she brought focus to those areas, it actually made her pain worse. So I really think it's important, again, just individualize what you're, what you're, how you can actually release. Know what works for you. So for some people, it will work. For other people, it won't. Um, yeah, and just keep searching for something until it does work for you. Should we dive into some questions that we had come in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll see how much information we can give for mm-hmm. each one. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it can give some actionable steps, but some of them can be, it just can be difficult at times if they are quite specific. Okay, so number one says, I've been having some pain at the top of my introitus during sex. I have to use a ton mm-hmm. of lube or there's so much discomfort why would this be? I'm six months postpartum and had a labial tear during birth. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to what we talked about. It definitely pelvic floor tension can be a big part of this. So the pelvic floor we often think is just at the bottom or if you picture our vaginal open, you picture a clock, we picture it's just at like six o'clock, but it actually goes to the top as well. So it all goes around it. It come it comes up and attaches behind our pubic bone so definitely that specific area it's not uncommon that that can actually be painful and it's just part of our pelvic floor so having that area learning how to release that area possibly some manual work um, on that area even over where you had your tear um, could be very helpful and then also all of the relaxation and nervous system strategies that we talked about Second question, and we've kind of covered this, but I think it will just be good reminders for people to hear. This one says, I'm a little over four months postpartum. We have only had sex twice because one, babies, and two, even with lube and foreplay, sex is hurting. I had a C-section. 
what gives and will this pass or should I see someone? I was surprised this would happen after having a C-section. Now that baby is sleeping in their own room and we will have a sex life again, will the sheer act of just doing it more help? Yeah, so we cover, we definitely cover this in terms of even just sharing your own experience, but um, just going back to even after cesarean birth, your pelvic floor can still be affected. It can still be, again, carrying tension in your pelvic floor, tension in your scar, um, that by releasing those two areas and then also working, again, the relaxation strategies um, could definitely help. So this person asked, should I see someone? If you can see a pelvic floor physio, I would highly, highly recommend and then you can get this pain resolved. And number three, this person is specifically asking about postpartum, they say, with internal scar tissue from tearing. Does it eventually go away and break down, or is there something that can be done for it? I feel like each time we have sex, it slowly gets a little better, but initially it was super painful and felt like there was all sorts of tight spots and bumps he was running into. My pelvic floor physio mostly worked on relaxing, which definitely helped, but these little tight spots, I'm guessing, are scar tissue? Mm-hmm. So scar tissue, I'd say kind of in the physio world is a bit of a hot topic um, and debated if we should actually be calling it scar tissue. Um, and so I tend to call it muscle tension, um, which can often exist in areas where there has been a scar. Um, so I'm really glad this person saw a pelvic floor physio and that it did help. Um, and it just may mean that there's a few more spots that some manual work needs to be done. So whether the therapist, but also it's important if the client, if this person can actually reach these areas to do a bit of that self-work. So similar to what we talked about with the dilators, it may just mean that you actually releasing those spots if they're reachable um, and that you can do it not being tense um, can again, help your nervous system release around that area um, and, uh, and potentially dilators if that's needed as well. And yeah, definitely in terms of there could be tension in those particular spots, but I've, I've definitely had clients have that happen before. And I think just hearing again that it's not necessarily scar tissue um, and for your brain to understand that going over those areas is actually okay, that in itself can actually make a big difference too. So her physio may have talked about that, may have not, I'm not sure. Um, but perhaps bringing in that nervous system side we've talked about um, and a bit more manual release could actually make that go away. So uh, just to uh, go over what we covered today in this episode. So we went over what is internal pelvic pain and some of the specific names uh, related to pelvic pain. Um, what does the pelvic floor have to do with it? How to heal this type of pain? Um, and as well, certain exercises and strategies that can help resolve this pain. I'm so excited about our next episode where we will be talking about our personal experiences with juggling work life and mom life. We have different setups, so I'm excited to talk about that too. We can give some insight on how we actually work and how we actually mom in our day-to-day -day worlds. So can we really have it all? Does balance even exist? We will catch you next time talking about all of that. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 